Hello, hello, fan drive time. No, not Ben Ennis. Brent Gunning here, Mike Gentilly alongside me. Very, very happy for both of us to be alongside you for the next couple of hours. And let's just jump right into it today. We have got Dan Schulman on the line. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. Dan, thanks so much for jumping on with us. How are you doing today? Gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing well. We are, uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. I'm looking and the rain just picked up, which always makes me just a little, a little sad. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll use this conversation about baseball to uh, reboost my morale here. Oh, All wait, right. the Jays lost 11-4 yesterday. Uh, things are not going so, so well. Uh, I do want to talk to you about something that happened uh, over the weekend, though, and it's really been a, a stretch of pretty good games for this player. And, you know, Kevin Bichu, of course, had the big hit to help him avoid the sweep on Sunday. He's, you know, in a stretch right now where he's probably been performing above his head a little bit in my opinion what do you think it does for a player who has been you know maligned at times as a uh, teacher's pet and people think that you know uh, that, that Schneider just loves him and he does but I think that there's sometimes you know criticism of the amount he's used or how often he 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 is Schneider goes to him what do you think it does for a player like Biggio to just kind of have a little stretch like this and of, of course it all kind of culminates with the big knock over the weekend but what do you think it does for a player to kind of have a uh, a reprieve from all that uh, I think it's huge. Uh, first of all, uh, I really like Kevin as a person. I've known him, you know, since the day he got to the big leagues. He's, ne- you know, he was never Vladdy or Bo, right? He was never that talented. He, you know, he was never that high of a pick in Bo's case or, or that big of a signing in Vladdy's case. Um, and, and, you know, he he doesn't have the same amount of talent as those two do. And I think because of that and because of his last name, he has been maligned a lot. Um one thing I like about him is he works like he just keeps working. He, um, I don't think he complains. I don't think he's a bad guy in the clubhouse. I think he's happy for his teammates when they do well. And I think he tries to contribute when he's in there. And he's been really good the last few weeks in terms of how much he's playing. He actually wasn't playing very much uh, until recently. And, and even now isn't playing, you know, even more than every second day or, or something like that. It's it's actually, uh, you know, I have found it curious how much the fan base in some corners, and maybe Twitter isn't the best place to, you know, to judge things entirely, how much they have turned on him. Um, because I don't think he's given them reason to, other than the fact that, you know, he hasn't put up the numbers that he would want to put up the last couple of years. The first two years he should, sure did. Go back to 2019, 2020, and he's an above-average player. And I st- I think he still brings value with his versatility, uh, and some of the other things he's he's doing. I don't think he'll ever be a uh, an everyday player on this team, but I think he still brings value in his role this year to play three different positions, left-handed bat, and, and hopefully do a little bit of what he's been doing lately. As you said, he's not going to continue with this clip. Everybody gets hot, everybody gets cold, from you know Biggio all the way to Bowen Springer and Vladdy and everybody else. But I talked to him yesterday about the home run that he hit on Sunday, and it, not that he was emotional about it, but he was very thoughtful and honest about it. And he looked at me and he said, I'm never going to forget that moment. That really meant a lot to me. And, and for that, I'm very happy for him. You know, it speaks to a bigger issue I find with this team, Dan, is they really back each other up. Last year, I thought this, the uh, support of Kikuchi was amazing, as well as Barrios. We saw people rallying around Manoa. You're around this team a lot. I really get that sense of they really have each other's back. Is Is it just the same as any other team? Or is there something specific from this club, and where does it derive from? Yeah, I, I think it's better than the average team. I don't want to say it's like historically good because they're you know they're all kinds of bunches of teams that really 
have each other's backs, but they do like each other. Uh, I mean, from the moment Dalton Varshow showed up, everybody on the team loved him. Springer can't leave him alone. Like he's like his big brother. Um, it, you know, they're, they're always alongside each other. Kevin Kiermeyer fit like a glove as soon as he showed up. Gosman and Bassett became excellent friends as soon as Bassett showed up, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, um, I, I see Bichette, Espinal, and Biggio. They're together all the time. Their three lockers are, are beside each other uh, in the home clubhouse. They do like each other's, and um, I, I think that's important because I'm sure there are times where they feel like, um, you know, a lot of the outside forces are against them. Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? Why haven't they won more? Why haven't they hit more? Or whatever the case may be. So I think it's important in that room um, that they are united. I think Matt Chapman's a part of it, too. Matt Chapman's got a lot of natural leadership qualities that's been talked about a lot. And I think he's important in that area, too. And, and I think this is vital to them because they're 37 and 31. I'm sure for most people it feels like they're under 500. And, and they're buried, and they're not. They've got to play better if they're going to make the playoffs. They've got to play better if they reach their potential. Um, but I think it's important for them to to be together and to like each other. Uh, you know, when the when the water gets uh, a little bit turbulent out there, and it's it's turbulent right now. They're in a tough stretch of their schedule, not playing as well. Uh, as they would like to. So it's important for them to stay together. Yeah, the idea of chemistry is always such a funny thing in, in baseball, right? And it's a fan drive time here. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentili, we're talking to Dan Schulman because, you know, baseball, of course, it's important to like your teammates. You spend more time with them than you do in any sport, but it's also maybe the sport where there is the least connection from one guy to another. You know, you'll have a double play tandem or something like that. But for the most part, it is kind of an individual sport wrapped up in a team game. So it is always funny how much we kind of read into that because when things are going well, you can say, ah, this is a team that loves each other, and that's why. Right. Uh, but but we all remember, you know, we've heard stories of uh, 27 guys and 27 cabs before, uh, and it might have worked for the 27 Yankees. Who, uh, who who knows? But, you know, looking at the pitching for, for this team, obviously Manoa has been such a big point of focus, and rightfully so. I'm not going to say that that's been an overstated story. He What he means to this franchise, not just for this season, but for the years going forward is a big one. But I think the guy who's going to get the ball tonight in Barrios has been arguably just as big a story. I mean, he was the ultimate conundrum last season in you never knew what you were going to get. There was very little middle ground. You would either get a 13K performance or one where he would struggle. What do you think it's meant for the Blue Jays to have that consistency out of him this year? And what do you think What do you think it, it, he is doing that's allowed him to do that? Well, it's huge. Uh, I mean, if a starting pitcher goes south, um, it, you know, it can impact your chances to win every five days, as we've seen with Alec Manoa. So, and Barrios, as you said, as as ugly as the overall numbers were last year, it was more like two good, one terrible, two good, one terrible, that kind of thing, all the way through the season. He's really he's had the good again this year. He's just kind of uh, eliminated the terrible, and even uh, you know the ones that haven't been as good, he might give up two runs in an inning instead of five, or three runs in a game instead of seven. You know, that sort of thing. So it, it's been huge. If you look at the other four spots in the rotation, in Gosman, Bassett, Barrios, and Kikuchi, in my opinion, all four have been at least as good as people hoped they would be coming out of spring training. Gosman's been great. Bassett, last night notwithstanding, has been very, very good. Barrios has been much better than last year. And Kikuchi has been better than last year. And, and nobody knew what to expect coming into the season in terms of how he has done it uh, talking about Jose Barrios. Um, I think a couple of things. One is I think he's locating better. I think he's leaving fewer pitches over the heart of the plate. 
He's throwing his uh, two-seam fastball away to right. He's better over the outside corner. His slurve has been great. His changeup has been good. The lefties, um, I think he's just locating better. I think he's making better pitches. I, I don't know that the stuff is uh, the velocity's any better or the movement's any different. I think it's the location that's been different um, for Barrios. The other thing is I thought even last year, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes he was a victim of some of the craziest baseball luck you've ever seen. Like there would be an infield hit and then a ball would get hit off his mm-hmm. foot and they wouldn't get an out. And like two or three crazy things would happen and then it would always end in a home run. So it would turn <laughs> into a five-run inning, whereas if the home run was hit first, they might only score two runs or something like that. Now listen, it's on the pitcher to not give up the home run when you got two men on base, that sort of thing. But I thought there was a little I, – I, I remember always – you know, turning to whoever I happen to be working to in his games and saying, I don't get it. I, I, every time he makes a mistake, he gets crushed. Every time something weird happens, the next guy hits a home run, that sort of thing. I thought there was a little bit of that going on last year, but I, but I do feel he is um, pitching better this year, locating better this year, and, and most importantly, avoiding the beginning. This is super inside baseball, but if I can't ask you something inside baseball, I can't ask anybody. When did we land on Slurf? Because I remember, you know, not not to pretend like I'm best friends with you, Dan, but I remember sitting in the booth there and you'd be talking with Wagner and other members of the media saying, what are we calling it? Is it a slider? Is it a this? And yeah. Slurf, we just, we decided to go with it this year. Is this MLB <laughs> deciding it? Did you just slam the gavel and make the call? When did we, uh, when did we end up with Slurf as the final yes, decision here? Yeah, it's funny. It's a word that's been around a long time. For sure. I have not used it much. Jose himself calls it a curveball. Um, one of the research um, companies that provides us with stuff uh, at Sportsnet calls it a curveball. A couple of the catchers and pitching coaches have called it a slider. So slurve is obviously <laughs> up between a curve and a slider. But the funny thing to me is, isn't that what a sweeper is? Like this new word sweeper right. <laughs> that's come out this year. Isn't that between a curve and a slider too? So, um, Well, now we're getting into Chris Bassett, all, Bassett territory with all of his different pitches right, exactly. that are kind of the different pitches, right? Right, exactly. So it's all kind of a gray area, to be honest with you. And, and if you ever hear, here's a little inside baseball. If you ever hear a, a play-by-play announcer just use the term breaking ball, he's being generic because <laughs> he's not 100% sure does that guy think of it as a curve or a slider or a slurve or a sweeper or something? And a breaking ball is kind of like a one-stop shopping. It covers them all. And Barrios, I had to check this twice. 9-0 and with a 2.92 ERA lifetime against the Orioles. 67 strikeouts to just 16 walks. So he's been absolutely dominant. Let's talk about those Orioles, Dan. They are so good that they're annoying. I feel like if the AL East was like a nightclub the Baltimore Orioles like jumped ahead of the Blue Jays earlier than expected. They're obviously yeah. a young, great team. Man, I guess they learned so much from that run last year that they just picked up where they left off, and they've sort of tilted the, uh, everything that's happened in that division this year. Yeah, so I don't know if people are going to like what I'm going to say over the next 45 <laughs> seconds or so. <laughs> so, oh, firstly, Barrios', yeah, Barrios numbers against the Orioles, that's great. These Orioles aren't necessarily those Orioles. Mm-hmm. There have been a lot of changes. So um, why are they better? Uh, one, Adley Rutschman for a whole year instead of coming up as a rookie at the end of May last year. Uh, Gunnar Henderson just was named American League Player of the Week. Uh, another one of their young players, a second-round pick a few years ago. He's turning into a star. Uh, they signed Kyle Gibson, who ironically was given the exact same do- uh, uh, report 
reportedly was given the exact same offer by the Blue Jays and the Orioles. One year, $10 million, took the Orioles' offer. He's been really good. Not a star, but a stabilizer. When Baltimore was horrible, it was mainly because their pitching was historically bad, Mm -hmm. especially their starting pitching. They just couldn't get five innings out of anybody. They were all getting blown up. And now all of their guys are okay. You know, Kyle Gibson's okay. Dean Kramer's okay. Kyle Bradish is okay. Tyler Wells is pretty good. You know, they, they keep them in games, and they let the offense and the bullpen win games for them. That's their formula, and they're good at it. And they're going to get better. As you've heard me say, and people like me say, they've got the best farm system in baseball. And people can roll their eyes, but they do, and there are more guys coming, more guys they can trade at the deadline if they decide to, to get more help this year. Baltimore's a problem. They are not going away um, it would shock me if they didn't win a couple of division, not this year, but it would shock me if they didn't win a couple of division titles in the next three, four years. As tough as this division is, you know, if you had to pick the future, the near, you know, near term future of any of the five teams in the division, I think it's the Orioles right now, given what they've got and what they've got coming. Well, and that's kind of always been the problem with the AL East, right? Is that, you know, the Yankees and Red Sox collectively are not going to have many years where they are both down. You're just not going to have that in the division. The way those teams operate, the way they spend, it has happened, but I don't think you can you can really have it happen. So I, I guess the question I have is then, does it kind of increase the impetus on the Jays? You know, Matt Chapman, it's entirely possible he is gone at the end of this year. Bo Bichette, he's under contract for his Arb years, and who knows what happens beyond that. Not that I'm saying he's trying to leave town, but the Orioles are not getting any worse. The Rays always seem to find a way. Do you have to kind of try to strike now before this O's team becomes the monster we think they're going to be because it's not like the division is just going to you know turn up dry at any given time right well they have tried to strike now in the offseason so sure i'm not i'm not saying they haven't it just does it does it kind of does it do you think they need to be more aggressive in season or does it change the the kind of thought process on that at all i guess just with how quickly the o's have got here I think they've got to see where they are in a few weeks. Um, you know, how good does the front office think this team is? Do they think they have a chance to not only make, but do some damage um, in the playoffs? Like, like again, Bassett and Kiermaier and Belt. Um, you know, the, I mean, you go back to Hyunjin Ryu and George Springer and all, like they've signed free agents. Yep. You know, they've been a very active front office the last few years. Um, in season, yes. One of the issues I have when I look at this Blue Jays roster. So if I said to you guys, okay, What's the one thing they need to go out and trade for? I'm not sure that we know the answer to that. I guess it would be a starting pitcher. I think I would say a starting pitcher. But I think a lot of people would say, no, they need a bat. And I would say, okay. Where do they play? What bat? (laughs) Right. Where are they playing? Who are you you sitting? Um, You you know, you've got Varsho, Kiermaier, Springer. Okay. You've got Chapman and Bo on the left side. Okay. You've got Whit Merrifield hitting 300 and stealing bases. You've got Vladdy. You've got two catchers. And when he's healthy, you've got Brandon Belt, who's been very hot as the DH against righties. So what spot are you filling when you get a guy? And that, to me, I guess it's good news that they, you know, if everything's going well, they appear to have nine guys who can help them score runs. But it makes it a little bit more complicated in my mind to say, that's the obvious problem. Go plug that hole. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. And, And, you know, maybe it is a left-handed bat, even if it's a platoon guy. But again, then uh, where does he play? Like if he's a, if he's an outfielder, who's sitting? Or if he's a second baseman, are you sitting Merrifield? Yeah, you get what I'm getting at. So For sure. it's a little, it's a little bit complicated 
right now. So, um, you know, I wish they had a couple more answers from the farm system. I think they've got some interesting guys at AAA, but for one reason or another, they're not in the big leagues. They haven't played well enough. There's no spot for them. They're not on the 40, whatever, that sort of thing. You know, they're not getting quite as much coming through the system as they would like, so they have to look outside. But I, I don't know that it's – on the offensive side, I don't know – that it's the easiest fix this year. I think the easiest fix offensively for this team is the guys they have have to hit more, have to do better. And we know they can. It's just each of them. It literally just about every guy on the team has had kind of a roller coaster season, ups and downs. The exception would be Bo Bichette, except his last week has been his quietest week of the season. Um, go out and get a starting pitcher. Sure. Go out and get a starting pitcher. Hard to get. Got to give up a lot to get them. They don't have a great farm system right now. So I, I'm not sure the trade deadline is going to be the easiest thing in the world for this team right now. It's a great point, Dan, because I thought the same thing. Offensively, they don't strike a lot of fear a lot of times when I'm watching, but then when you want to say, okay, who's out, you can't pick one. No. It's a very tricky team, and they, they yep. sort of remind me, there's so many of these teams that have had success in the past, so they kind of struggle through the regular season, but my goodness, if you have to face them in a smaller series, with that pitching staff that we've talked about, with the fact they've added in some more lefties, this is not a team anyone would want to face in a single series. No, this, this team, if they make it could win it all, but yeah. that's baseball, right? That's baseball that happens in baseball. I mean, you know, shoot, we just saw Florida and uh, we just saw the, the Panthers and the heat both have unexpected runs in their sports too, right? Like it happens and it happens in baseball more than it happens in any other sport, especially when you consider the wild card series is a two out of three and the division series is a three out of five. Their bigger problem is just going to be getting there right now because uh, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, New York, Texas, Houston, they've got to beat out at least one of those teams to make the playoffs. That's hard. Uh, the best way to beat them out is to beat them. And as everybody knows, they're not playing well against teams within their own division. They're 6-16 six and 16 in the East. They're 0-4 against Baltimore. They're going to Texas next. That's a, not an East team, obviously, but a team – you know, it could come down to Toronto and Houston or Toronto and Texas for a wild card spot. They did a good job against Houston, took three out of four. I know that seems like months ago. That was last week when they were playing really well. You know, and and that's the that's the nature of a baseball season. Uh, you can you can be sky high and then as low as you can get as a fan. You know, within just a few days. So. Um, but they've got to play better against the teams they're competing against. And the best way to do it is to win tonight, tomorrow afternoon uh, against Baltimore. They, they're, they have the third worst winning percentage in baseball within their own division. Now, they play in a very tough division, but I think it's only Oakland and Kansas City have a worse record within their own division than the Blue Jays do. Six and 16, if you extrapolate that out to all the games they're going to play within the East, that ain't going to get it done. They're not going to make the playoffs if they keep doing that. they got to find a way to play better against the teams that they're competing with. Yeah, they certainly do, and that can all start tonight. Uh, Barrios and Bradish on the bump. Uh, thanks so much, Dan. Really, really appreciate it. Have a good call tonight. All right, guys. Thanks. Good talking to you. There he goes. Dan Schulman, TV voice, the Toronto Blue Jays. And again, first pitch flying just after 7 o'clock. Pre-game gets going at 6.30 on the TV side. We will have the first pitch right here. Ben Wagner on the call at 7 o'clock on the Blue Jays radio network. Uh, he did nail it. Now, with the idea of where do you put said bat, this all goes to the problem with the Brendan Belt signing to me is that, you know, if he's going to hit, that's a bat you like to have. But if he's not, I don't know that you want a guy to be a set DH on this team with all the guys that need days off and all the guys you want to cycle through. 
And the other thing is that Kiermaier is the guy you jump out to because in a pinch, George Springer can play some of the level of defense that Kiermaier can. Nobody is on Kiermaier's level, but that's the two places that the bat jumps out to me. And then the problem with second base is, let's be honest, that's never been a position where you're getting a dominant bat. The only time the Blue Jays had that was when it was Marcus Simeon. Then he went and got like 300 sheets from from the Texas Rangers you're going to see next. So I guess it would have to be an outfielder that you could plop in the corner or a second baseman that you could occasionally DH, but those guys don't exist. Second basemen do not hit like that. So it it really is a conundrum, and it does go back to the belt signing as a bit of a problem for me. That's what makes baseball so hard, is you can't just fill in a hole here and there and make it Mm -hmm. work. You need people to perform better who are already there. Yep. So, you know, they lost Simeon's offense. They Mm -hmm. lost to Oscar's offense. They never replaced it. They needed the defense, so that's what Varsho's there for. Mm-hmm. That's what Kiermaier's there for. Neither one of them are scary when they're up at bat. But you can't trade off their defense for more hits, and then you get sloppy again. So it's a very tricky thing, and that's where it comes down to when guys like Vladi are not performing the way that you expected them to, that would make up a lot of that offense we're talking about while still keeping the defense and not having to change the roster around. Well, and a bit of the problem too, and again, it's this isn't a problem because one guy is allowed to be like this, but it's just the ebbs and flows of a of a baseball season. Matt Chapman is a very boomer bust guy. He has a month where he's the player of the month. Yeah. He has a month where you would never take him out of the lineup because what he gives you defensively, he could be swinging a wet noodle up there, hitting oh. And yeah. it would not matter. You'd then still a month want goes it. by with nothing. Nothing. Yeah. But then a month's going to come, and he's going to lash six, seven bombs in that month because he goes on these runs of power. He always ends up with his 25, 30, somewhere in there. And you can afford to have a guy like that if the other players you count on are consistent. Bichette has lived up to that. He has been, now, as Shulman said, it's baseball season. Everybody's going to have little blips here or there. But for the most part, Bichette has lived up to that. A guy like George Springer, he is supposed to be the guy who brings it every single night offensively, especially when you take him off the demanding center field spot. Varsho, a little further down in the pecking order, but Vladdy, you need him to be Vlad. So it just goes back to Bichette is doing his job of being the guy who can carry you throughout a long season. A Matt Chapman, a Dalton Varsho, a Brandon Belt, they're supposed to get hot for two or three weeks, and it's like, wow, look how deep this lineup is all of a sudden. But with a, it, it just goes back to, to me, the two guys are Vlad and Springer. And maybe with Springer, we need to adjust expectations a little bit as he ages. But with Vlad, we're adjusting expectations. And that might be a quote-unquote fair thing to do because of what the player is. But I don't think it is a fair thing to do when you look at the way this team has been put together and what is asked of him. You know, it's funny too. In most sports, if you write somebody off in a season, they may come back and prove themselves the next year. Right. <laughs> baseball, when you write someone off from baseball, they could come back and prove themselves in the same season. Series. Right? The same series. <laughs> like we saw that with, with like Bobachet last year. Like we forget. I thought it was around this time, June, July. It was mid August when he got moved to seventh in the lineup. It was like mid August mm-hmm. when that happened. And he ended up having this amazing end to the season. So, you know, it takes time. And, you know, you don't want to jump to conclusions and all that stuff, but as, as the Yankees stick around, as Tampa proves what they are, as Baltimore now shows that they mean business, 
it, it, it starts to feel like you're running out of time and out of space. It does. And, you know, I, you know, I don't want to turn this into an O's preview show, but they just, they, even the holes in their lineup, you know, they got a guy, Jorge Mateo, their shortstop. That's a hole. He's swinging a wet noodle. Whatever yeah. I just described as the doomsday scenario for Matt, uh, for Matt Chapman, that is his everyday life. Guess what? He is as slick of a fielding shortstop as you will ever see. And you can afford to have one of those guys on the team. Exactly. You can always afford Kevin. If Kevin Kiermeyer is the only glove only guy you have, and I know he wasn't for the first bit of the season, but oh, who raise your hand up if you're shocked that Kevin Kiermeyer turned into Kevin Kiermeyer at the dish at this point in time. You can afford to have one of those guys, but when Varsho isn't giving it to you. And there have been spells where he is. And I think it was a, now I have my, I have my quibbles with moving off the wrong catcher in Alejandro Kirk as opposed to Moreno. But I think the Varsho acquisition was a fine one. But when you just look at the, when you look at the types of players, and when you look at dangerous lineups, they just have more of those guys at the top that to your point, strike fear. Teoscar Hernandez was one of those guys. And I know people are going to say, well, Varsho hit more bombs than him last year. Yeah, okay, you go stand there at the plate and you tell me who strikes more fear in you. Is it Varsho or is it Teoscar? You've got a decent sensible size of watching him now. Guess what? It's Hernandez. You don't have those guys. Bichette has lived up to his billing. Springer has had moments, but really he hasn't either. And Vladdy definitely hasn't. So those are the three guys that are supposed to be consistent every single night. And they just, outside of Bo, haven't been. It, it, is, it is what's been the death knell for this team. Well, it's funny because Dan was talking about the non-Manova starters. They've all been... As good or better. For sure. It's like if you do like uh, employee reviews, yes. all the pitchers would get like above expectations. Well, I was going to I, I was gonna say, you know, some <laughs> some places they don't let you do that. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Do they get in fours over there, Gentilly? But like with the others, you know, some are at expectations yeah. or some to might, be honest, below You might be getting put on a pip, a little performance improvement plan there. Listen, they built their team or they tried to, at least in this offseason, around guys like Vladdy and Bo. What does that mean? They're not bringing in people that are better than them. Building mm -hmm. around them yeah. means they're the pillars. That's true. So the pillars as a combo have not delivered. Bo's carrying the team. Vlad has not lived up to his billing. Nope. That's why I think they're in trouble. Because of what Dan mentioned, mm -hmm. because you can't move anyone around, that's what kills you. Yep. And then the and then this is a long-term concern, and obviously these are varying different uh, differing degrees of concern. One guy is not in the major leagues right now, and the other guy is merely having a disappointing season. But it's a point I hammered home, and I'm going to continue to hammer it until one of these two proves me wrong. But if Vlad isn't quite what he was supposed to be, he was just he's just this, or he's just merely a all-star player who's going to have a really nice career but he's never going, or not never, but not going to be a consistent MVP threat every year. And if Alec Manoa is closer to a, forget, forget if he's washed, if he's just a number three guy or a 2B, whatever yeah. Barrios was last year, that's not what you banked on when you went out and signed Kevin Gossman and you went out and got Barrios. Correct. That is not what was baked into the recipe. So that is going to be the, I think, adjustment on the fly that's going to have to be made by this front office. And again, not to say baseball, long, long season. Manoa? I need to see more before I believe. But I still think Vladdy, especially when you look at all the hard hit barrel rate and all that stuff, I still think he can turn it around and have a really, really productive year. But with Manoa, how can you not have questions about it? And if those two give you any questions at all about what they are, what is the long-term future of this franchise? You know, it's funny. There's some, you know, a few of the MLB insiders saying that there was a lot of buzz about Manoa even last year. People already projecting what may have happened this year. Maybe not to the extent that we saw it, but they 
they were already seeing a bit of a decline. Yeah, because there's been the thought as well that he, you know, he he did some upper body strength training stuff. And obviously, you know, young players, as you, and not to say Manoa is learning to work out. He would have been working out the whole time he was at, I think West Virginia was, was where he went to school. Yeah. He, w- he would have been doing all that stuff. But guess what? Like we've all, we, we were dudes in our 20s. We know current dudes. Guess what they want to do? They want to get jacked and take their shirt off in the summer. And it does seem like there was a little bit of that going on in terms of, is it, and this is all part of growing as an athlete of what is the right strength training that I need? I felt maybe he felt like he was fatiguing later in the year. So in theory, you know, a a bigger muscle mass up there allows it to hold as the season goes on. I can understand the theory behind it, but this is what you do. And I, I want to be clear. This isn't a confirmed report. This is just more of these theories, ideas as to what's happened. Right. But with Manoa, you really do need to, I'm not saying it has to get back on the rails this year, but you need to figure out what pushed him off the rails. And if that, that can all be done this off season and you can find time to work at it, but you need to have an answer to what went wrong. It can't be at the end of this stint or at the end, heaven forbid, at the end of the season, they're just throwing your hands up and saying, oh, well, hopefully he can have a better year next year. You have to figure out what it is that's causing the problem with him. Okay, over under three and a half starts that he misses during this assignment. I'm going to set the number there. Is that, that's a that's a decent that's number. T- uh, yeah, that's a good number. I'm going to take right? just under. I'm going to take just under at three. I think he misses three because it feels like it's a lot. somewhere in like that month ish yeah. range. But they're looking at it like they don't want to rush the guy back either and have and to do this again. Just so going to look at the schedule. What's one. coming up after the Rangers here? Because I, you you obviously think you'd hope you want to find a bit of a softer landing spot for him, right? You're that's not right. you're not bringing it. Well, actually, this is the confounding thing about Manoa. Maybe you should just bring him back and throw him into Yankee Stadium and somehow they've traded for Verdugo and he can go scream at him as well. Which maybe is how that, he started. Maybe that's exactly what he needs. Because that's the thing about it is I can sit here and say, hmm, they got a series in South Florida and uh, against the Marlins at the end of the month. Maybe that's a nice spot for him to get in. But maybe what he needs is not that. Maybe he needs 50,000 New Yorkers screaming at him and telling him he's a bum and he can't do it anymore because... We all know those athletes. We all know those guys who just perform better when they have a little chip or when you tell them, oh, I bet you can't do this. We all we all know those people, and I'm not counting out that aspect of it from Manoa either, and that's the other interesting part of when when you look at him to come back because, okay, after this Rangers series, it's the Marlins, then it's the Athletics, then it's the Giants, then you have the Red Sox. Like, there aren't these... No, there's some, there's there, some, some spots there. There's some spots. There's, there's a some few spots. soft landing. I, I'm going to, because nobody have to break here, I'm yeah, going to yeah. just do one thing. That's not cool, but feel sorry for a millionaire athlete. Okay. And that's my feeling with Manoa. You know, it's it's rare where, where the effort and the performance are two different things. Usually, like, go back to the end of the Vince Carter era oh, in Toronto. Oh, oh, I remember. Lack of effort equaled lack of performance. For sure. The thing with Manoa, it's not that he's dogging it. No. Nope. It's not that, as we mentioned on fair, it's not like he got his money and, and, and just went the other way. He's definitely trying. He's mm-hmm. just, he's not getting the results, but the effort is there. So for me, it's a bit of a sympathy, and I know I'm not supposed to feel sorry for these athletes, but when you nah, see someone... he hasn't someone, got the big payday. You can feel sorry for him. He hasn't got the big payday, but you know who feels the worst about this? Alec Manoa. Sure. There's no one that feels worse. And you just see that the effort's there, and, he, you know, he's just not having it. So for me, you know, let me talk about the redemption mm-hmm. stories from Kikuchi to Barrios, Kevin Biggio maybe. Let, let's hope it happens for him. But it just feels uh, it feels tough to watch. It feels like more of an injury than anything else. It really does. And I hear what you're saying about the idea of, you know, because obviously he got booed in his, his last start here. And I think that I understand where you're getting at with that. But I also think that when you are a brash, 
confident and forget confident, just outright cocky athlete, and that's what we like about him, that there's going to be pushback when you can't kind of back up the words, right? The uh, whole pumping tire there's stuff. Definitely, yeah. There's definitely a difference, though, between the Carter stuff or even, let's be honest, what we've seen from Leafs teams at times. We all, we all remember game three against Florida, okay? <laughs> we've seen that. That's not what's been happening with Manoa. He's not been going up there and just lobbing up 60-mile-an-hour EFIS pitches saying, have at it. No, he's trying his best. Uh, so there's definitely a difference, uh, but I completely understand the frustration uh, coming from the fan base there. Again, Blue Jays back at it tonight, continuing their series with the O's. You can watch it on Sportsnet. Pre-game gets going at 6.30. Of course, Dan Shulman will be on the call there. Ben Shulman on the call on the radio. I was wrong. Not Wagner. Uh, a couple more days off for him. So Ben Shulman, Shulman Squared, uh, wherever you get your J's uh, tonight. Awesome story uh, for, for them. And uh, we're going to talk to Adnan Verk a little later on in the show. He'll join us at 4 o'clock. We got to talk about the cup. It got handed out last night. And we also, I don't know if we're going to do this next, but they're connected in my mind. We got to talk about Nikolai Jokic. All of you are way too happy about him, about him not caring about winning the NBA championship. Fan drive time continues next. It's Gunning and Gentilly on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly, Derek Brendale on the wheels of steel, keeping us on the air. So NHL season wrapped up last night, and uh, I didn't think I had capacity to be angry about hockey anymore, and it still did it to me. I just was... Uh, what got you now? I just just jealous, really, just outright yeah. jealousy. And, you know, I'm there are guys I'm happy for. I'm literally looking at Mark Stone, getting it handed to him right now. That I always refer to, I've like for the longest time referred to Mark Stone as your favorite hockey player's favorite hockey player. And then when Kipper was gushing about how much he loved him, I felt so vindicated uh, at the end of Kipper and Bourne there. I am thrilled for Jack Eichel, another guy. How can you not be my man, Phil Kessel? Phil Kessel. How can you not be? And then I got to be honest. After that, I'm like, oh, great. Jonathan Marshall show. Oh, great. And I'll look at all these guys, all these cast-offs. It is amazing for them, but it just, it is incredible how much it just makes me angry about the way the I league season is. that dude. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. All of them other than the guys I mentioned by name. That's, like, that is the thing that just jumps out to me is just how immediately angry I was about it that it's not the Leafs lifting it and they were eliminated a month and a half ago. So does this reset the clock for you because they were able to go zero to cup in six years? God, I want to So, so I when a team rebuilds guy. or something like that, like does it, does it now say to you five and six years is now a expected time mm. to win a title. I don't think so. No. Because this... no one's starting the way they did. There's got to be a bit of luck and that sort of stuff. So I don't think you could look at it and say, bit of luck, now, a like lot of six stupidity. years is enough. Yeah, little luck, a lot of stupidity on other people's parts. I guess you could say those are one. Those are two shoes on opposite feet there. there it's not even remotely close. Let's just say, let's say the, well, okay, I don't have to say, well, the Sens are a bad example because they've got a lot going on right now. Let's say the Coyotes sure. got sold tomorrow and yeah. it's like we're in rebuild okay yeah we know you've been there the whole time other than the the one shane dome playoff run we know i don't think it means that they should get to where vegas is now i also don't think every rebuild needs to take 10 years but the idea of starting completely fresh with teams that were in 
let's be honest, panic mode by the expansion draft and the rules surrounding it and the uncertainty around that. I don't think a rebuild should take 10 years, but I also don't think this proves you can go zero to cup in six either. Yeah, so if you if you make today zero for the Leafs with this roster, since we're comparing the yep. two, then you got to say with some moves and, you know, cap restrictions, how do you how do you forecast that possible? Well, it's it's so funny because the whole regular season I spent talking about what the Boston Bruins did firing Bruce Cassidy and saying, "Look at that. That's proof positive that you had a good coach and you need to move on from him." And that Jim Montgomery, look at how, look at a good job he did. And I'm going to cash that, that, uh, that Jack Adams bet I made on him because he did do a good job in the regular season. And look, you know, coaching coaches are as good as goaltenders are, but now I'm thinking about the doomsday scenario of the opposite version of that of now, this isn't going to happen. Sheldon Keefe will be the Leafs head coach for, for next year, but I'm now just dreaming of the doomsday scenario where Keefe would have got canned and he is in, I don't know, Ottawa and they go on some miracle run cut. or something like that. Um, in terms of the, is, so I was just, you, you outlined the teams that have now been to a cup or won a cup before the Leafs and have been there. Hurricanes, Ducks, Lightning, Golden Knights, though they've all won. Sharks, Preds, Sabres, Canucks, Sens, Oilers, Flames. Now, obviously I think, Sabres, Canucks, Sens, Oilers, Flames are a different group than the different other teams group. I'm about to mention here. But is it good or bad for the league? Because I've, I've heard a lot of this is amazing for the NHL of the success of the Golden Knights. And I do not disagree with that. I also think, and now you have, have had some of this. Chicago is absolutely a blue blood franchise. The Penguins, because of Crosby and Mario, it's weird. Every other part of their history is kind of borderline disgusting. But those two guys, they're blue blood. But what would it mean for the league to have a, forget just the Leafs, let's say it's the Oilers, let's say it's the Flames, a true marquee market that cares so much. What would it mean? Would it be better for the league? Or is it better that all of these, you know, also ram markets, Hurricanes, Ducks, Lightning, Golden Knights, the Panthers are in the final last night. We always talk about growing the game. And I understand that maybe this does grow the game. I do get that. But I refuse to believe Look at in sports. We love it when the villains win. Like, we hate it, but it gives us something to talk about. And I just think if you would have had a Canadian team come through in this time, I forget if it's just the Leafs, if it's the Oilers, or if it's the Flames, I do think it would have been better for the league. We're talking this story about, it's great, all these other markets, and I think there's something to that. But you can't go completely away from your core customers either, and that's kind of what's happened. And I know the NHL has no power to rig this. I'm not telling them to, but it's just, that's been the thing that stuck out the most to me in the talk of how good this is. Is for the NHL. I remember having a big debate with our buddy Roger Lajoie on lottery night about this exact story. Mm. And it was, hey, if you could put Connor Bedard anywhere, where would you put him? I like Chicago. I was cheering for the original so, 16. So did the NHL. Big, exactly. So and, maybe, well, maybe they can control and, and Roger's point was they don't need the help because they're already a great stable franchise, Rangers, mm-hmm. whoever. Yep. Whereas a league would be better off if a team like a Columbus got a guy like Connor Bedard. And I feel the opposite. I don't feel like it's good for the league, mm-hmm. yes, because anyone could win. So I think it helps with uh, franchise values, sure. getting people to come in there, that sort of stuff. But as fans and stuff watching it, it's just weird, and not to be the bitter Toronto person, but we grew up when there wasn't such a thing as the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. And they're in the cut. But we grew up with no... Now, the Hurricanes are different because it's the Whalers, but still. But the Ducks, the Lightning, the Golden Knights... We're not around. And mm-hmm. like in your lifetime yeah. to see a team not be there and then hoist a cup, I think it's weird. 
it's disgusting. It, it bothers me. It really bothers right? me. Now, I did, I did make this point to you that of all the teams on the list, I actually somehow think I would rather be Leafs than Sabres because I complain about the Justin Hall pick penalty. If if oh I goodness. was a Sabres fan, I would just I would have that With Lindy. I would have Lindy Brent Ruff's Hall. I would have Lindy Ruff's no goal as my ringtone. We didn't even do that <laughs> in 2023. It would be the ring. It would be the ring doorbell at my house. It would be my ringtone. It would be my. I would just wear shirts with no goal emblazoned on it all times. So yeah, I, it's it's been interesting to watch this. The other thing I kind of want to push back on a little bit is this idea of Vegas as a as a hockey town. They did it and. Now, the one thing I will lend credence to is maybe they are now, maybe, but we don't know. There is no market that cares about sports in the world that you could not plop a team in that goes to a cup final or a championship game or whatever it is in any sport, and then within six years misses the playoffs once, trades for a superstar, and then goes and wins, or sorry, trades for two superstars, signs one in free agency with Pietrangelo and then trading for Eichel. There's no, there's no city on earth that wouldn't get sucked in by that. And this idea of, oh, look at these great Vegas fans. They're there for a party, okay? I'm sorry. Maybe they do love the game of hockey now, but the idea that this is a hockey town and they've bought in. Okay, I would love to see how much of a hockey town this is when the Knights have a bad year and the NFL or the NBA is there. That's the thing I keep coming back to about this is, oh, it's a great Vegas story. It's so great. There are a ton of great stories on the team. You can feel happy for all the people who put it together. You can even tell me it's a good thing for the league that a Sunbelt team or an unexpected market wins. But this idea that, oh, the Vegas fans have bought in. They bought into, they bought into winning all the time. Yeah, I got a kid. Guess what? If it's, if it's ice cream and sprinkles night every night, he's going to buy into that too, okay? So the idea of the Vegas having turned the corner and it's a hockey market now, that is one that I just always have to push back on. Well, I'm going to push back on the pushback. All right. Gunner. No, I mean, it's all good. I think the NHL comes out looking really smart for being the first in Vegas. For we sure. knew for years someone was going to be the first. Mm-hmm. No one thought it was going to be hockey. No. And it they're turned never, out to be They're hockey. never first on anything. And I think what's, what's good about it is because they were first in, only one team is going to be able to say they're the baby. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 they're the firstborn. Yep. And they're entrenched in Vegas. So they got all the attention, all the support, all the resources, and it's their own team. Like, you know, like, like mm-hmm. people in Vegas, like, we had nothing before. Now we have this team. The Raiders come in, and the NFL is huge, but it was someone else's team. Well, and it's also the a one-day-a-week thing, right? are going to be someone yeah. else's team. These guys are always going to be first. It was like um, Ben had someone on yesterday from Denver mm-hmm. talking about how great it was when the Avalanche won, but because they got there after... Right. Because Denver Nuggets were established first, you can't really compare the two. Yeah, the Broncos, same, right? Right, yeah. you know, like whoever's there first is different. So I think something like an NBA team, they must be looking at this thinking, we should have been there first. So I think they've created a culture. To call them a hockey town, I'm not sure because we, you know, that, that, what, that what has is to be a hockey judged. town. Is well, this what a, that means. Well, we always have this argument. This is a Leafs town. I was going to say, is this a hockey town? Because I remember Connor McDavid played in Mississauga and it wasn't sold out against the Steelhead. So what is it really? No, the, I mean, the real Vegas question is going to be if they win this cup and win nothing for like 12 years, yep. what's their season ticket fan base going to look like? What's like, what's it going to look like in Vegas in general? So we don't have the answer to, you know, to mm-hmm. that question. Well, yet. and it feels like, and again, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if it's unfair. It feels like a front runner's town, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of towns like that. Guess what? The, outside of the Leafs and the Jays, this is a bit of a front runner town. Okay, TFC games they're packed, but when those we we've seen people are throwing megaphones at players and stuff, it turns really quick down there. The Raptors, 
you see the tenor of the conversation in this town when they're a championship team. Yeah, it's basketball town. Kawhi, this guy, Kawhi plant, Kawhi yeah. and dine. And then we just had the year they had, and we're all kind of so-so on Pascal Siakam and doesn't feel like a Raptors town, really. Yeah. And guess what? They're, you know, Coach Darko maybe comes in, he fixes it all, they win. People are all the way right back. And it's not to say the people who always care about those teams go away, but I'm talking about... I'm not talking about somebody who paints their face and has season's tickets. Every team in every corner of the earth has people like that. I'm talking about the person who, casual fan, catches a bit of the game at night, wants to have the water cooler conversation. I don't know how much that's going to bleed. It bleeds through now because everybody loves a winner, but how much will it when, uh, when, when they're not that? I, did wanna, I don't want to spend too much time on this because, you know, so it's perfect time to sneak it in here. And we're talking NBA, NHL. Yeah. Am I off base in that the Nikolai Jokic pressers have been 1,000% public approval? Or am I, am I, like, am I alone in my dissent? Because I see Jokic and I see all the love he's getting of like, oh, yeah, just like me. I don't want to go to after work drinks with my coworkers either. Maybe this is just me. I actually would like my athletes to care. I, I would like that. I would like the most important thing in their life to be winning. This is a criticism we have a guy's all the time. We talk about it in this town of, do you hate? Do you need to win? Do you hate to lose? What's the difference between that? And I see everybody just saying, oh, this is great. Look at Jokic. He wants to get home to his horses. In my mind's eye, and hey, people are allowed to value things differently in their life. I should not care more about my job than the NBA MVP. And I genuinely feel like I am willing to move around my schedule more than the NBA MVP is and the guy who just rightfully so won finals MVP. I could not believe how fawning people were in their praise of this. Now, what more do you want from Jokic? He did his job. He did it well. He won MVP. I want him to want to have won it. He... We've heard all these stories of the things he has in his locker. There's no MVPs to be found, but you better believe yeah. his horse racing ribbons are always up there. Drives me nuts. I should, if you're a guy or a gal watching, you're a Nuggets fan, you're sitting there, you've been dying for this team. You were there when Matumbo was clinching the ball in the 90s, and now you're living this moment. You should not be more happy about it and ready to soak it in and bask in it for a hundred years than the star of your team should. All we ever want is buy-in from our athletes. And I, su- I not suppose you 1000% could say he bought in during the season and he could say whatever he wants. He won. He has the right to do all this. I just can't believe the overwhelming public praise of, oh, this is great. This guy's just like me. I do not want my NBA superstar to care about his job as much as an accountant or a lawyer or an electrician. I want him to care about it more. Well, I'll take that over him doing something like, you know, when I made that play, that made me the greatest of all time. Like, I will take the Jokic horses stuff yeah. over the, like, LeBron, uh, you know, put put me on Mount Rushmore tomorrow type of deal. I don't mind it. I mean, he's not he's not as slick on the mic as a lot of people would be. I hate it. I hate it. I thought it was weird that he was kind of annoyed, with, you know, like about the parade. He's like, oh, I got to get home. It's like, dude, you do have the entire off season. Yeah. So so I'm not it, sure what the also, big rush is. Well, again, you know, I'm not going to pretend to know the intricacies of European horse racing. Maybe <laughs> maybe this is a, maybe this is a guess. Maybe this is a we got yeah we got a four we got a four thirty open block. If there's any, <laughs> well, just open call. If there's any European horse racing experts here, this guy can't put in a call. Him, you're telling me if him and Jokovic collectively, Joker squared collectively said no, 
the horse race, whatever horse, whatever race his horse is racing in, they can't push it back to Monday for a national icon. He is literally they his, have the power. His face is plastered on the biggest building in their city. He is a hundred feet tall right now in Serbia. He can't he can't make a call and get his horse race postponed today. Ridiculous. I am so mad about it. Because again, we we kill guys for the other side of this all the time. We just talked about it with Manoa. What is the great thing, the thing that stops us from absolutely murdering him about his struggles is that he cares, is that he's locked in. Yes, And exactly. does Jokic care? If he would have, do I think he would have acted that way if they would have lost, saying, oh, okay, I'm ready to go see my horses? No, I don't think so. I think he would have been more broken up, and I guess that's good. But it just, it irked me to no end. And it's not even, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. I'm not, I'm more mad at all of you, you included, <laughs> than I am at Nikolai Jokic for the overwhelming, just fawning praise of a guy who, again, stating via his own words, he don't care about this all I think much. I think most of the praise was on his style of play. Okay. And what he did. Hey, no qualms with that. You but know, the record for you look most at Jamal points, Murray, assists, he's, and rebounds. Yeah. Jamal Murray is crying. He yeah. is just broken down. And Jokic is like, okay, cool. Where's my horse? Can I get some sugar cubes for her? Yeah. Just, I, I Well, and that's what makes it. a great team, that you have to have, a, you know, like an assortment of different personalities. And maybe you need someone that cares maybe too much, someone that doesn't care enough, let's say. It's just weird. Your, your attitude could only go along with what the winning is like. Because when you don't win, it looks like you dogged it. There's definitely something. Uh, so, that's, so from a um, body language perspective, we've seen that with some of the Leafs in town. When the body language says one thing, if you're not winning, people are going to kill you for it. Yeah, there's uh, there's there's definitely something to that. And uh, yeah, I see you all in the text line killing me. I knew you wouldn't agree, <laughs> but I look, I'm going to get angry about something, and I'm going to be angry about it. I am, uh, I am who I am. And uh, again, I think it's a great story for the league. Jokic and the Nuggets. I think it would have been really frustrating if he wouldn't have got through. He would have been really unfairly maligned. It would have been the Joel Embiid conversation all again. So I want to be clear, thrilled, ecstatic. Happy that the Nuggets won. Kitchener is title town Canada today. You got Nick Hag and Jamal Murray, both from there. They actually like plastered the Larry O'Brien and Stanley Cup on the city sign. I love it. I think it's awesome that Jamal Murray and those guys were able to come through. But I cannot believe that Jokic is getting uh, praised the way he has been for the way that this year has gone. Now, we got one hour left in the show. Adnan Vert coming up next. He'll get his take on that. We'll talk a little baseball with him as well. One hour left when we continue here on Fan Drive Time with Gunning and Gentilly. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time. Brent Gunning, Mike Gentilly here. Endeavoring to connect with Adnan Verk. We were just playing uh, one of my favorite games. Hall of Fame or no, I could play this game about guys all day. Phil Kessel. We won't we won't weigh in too much on this because sure. it's going to be a hot retirement topic one day for, for him. But he is going to be an all-time interesting Hall of Fame case. Three cups, Iron Man, 400 goals, and uh, going to reach 1,000 points. Uh, but... You know, the 400 goals, not to, quite well, the counting stats you would have thought. If the answer isn't yes right away and you have to no, look it no. up. 
That's then the, maybe they're not the guy. No, for not it. not maybe. I am I am a massive proponent of you should be able to make that call in a millisecond. And if you can't, I'm sorry. You might be amazing, but doesn't mean you're in the Hall of Fame. What? What? Who better to weigh in on this? This wasn't even where we were going to start with them. Uh, Adnan Verk joins us now. MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. Adnan, thanks so much for jumping on. How are you doing today? Of course, Brent. My pleasure. I reunited with my boy, Mike Gentilly. What a thrill this is. Normally the ace producer, the Spaniard, <laughs> now on air. I just want to point out, just so I can uh, bust Mike's chops, the other he texted, <laughs> how is 3.30 for today, or is 4 better? Your choice. Ben off today, different setup. I said, either one. You're back. Perfect. It's Brent Gutting and me reunited lots, but he did not specify. <laughs> I left it was the time. Or four. So it was perfect. Um, I've been hanging out for half an hour. Show sounds great. Keep it e- up, boys. E3. So put that on me. Sorry about that, Adnan. All good. All good. How's everything going? You guys enjoying yourselves? Yeah, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, you know, we were going to start with, uh, we were going to start with uh, some baseball stuff, but where are you at on that? And maybe, maybe your answer is different for different sports, but we were just saying for me, I am a guy that if I have to think about it or be talked into it, you are not a hall of famer. And I guess that makes me a super small hall guy, but where, where do you weigh in on that? And is it different for different sports for you? No, that's generally how you go as well. And, uh, I mean, I'm always amused by the guys who made it. They're like, how the heck is that guy in the Hall of Fame? Like every year, <laughs> right, with baseball, you go, how is Harold Baines a Hall of Famer? Hockey, how is Clark Gillies a Hall of Famer? So, like, it's, it's easy to kind of poo-poo some choices. But, yeah, I think ultimately you go, Hall of Famer or not, if it's not instantaneous. Now, that doesn't mean my mind can't be changed. I'm as proud of Canadian as anybody. But if you asked me for years, I would have said Larry Walker, no. But once I started to look at the numbers, I said, okay, because I, like many – was being foolish and just looking at the whole Coors Field argument, which is a lazy one because Walker was still great away from Coors Field and you can make the argument play at Coors Field. is still challenging, by the way, because of the air and stuff to say durable, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I'm with you guys. I think if you just say yes or no, but I think sometimes if you do look a little closer, the numbers can surprise you and you're allowed to change your mind. Well, it's funny because Jimmy Butler was quoted saying he doesn't care if he gets in the Hall of Fame. He wouldn't even show up if he was elected and blah, blah, blah. And he was <laughs> kind of kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, it's more of an individual thing. He'd rather win something as a team. And then we started to think, you know what? Like, Hall of Fame debate talk, it's there for baseball. It's there for hockey. Uh, football kind of ranks with basketball is like the most innocuous. Like, no one really talks about that. It, it's, it's the weak link of the Hall of Fames. Mm-hmm. Oh, no question, Mike. You know, I used to, obviously, you know, worked at ESPN nine years, and uh, we lived in West Hartford, Connecticut, which is a stone's throw from Springfield, which is where the Basketball Hall of Fame is. Like, I bet you most people wouldn't even know that. Springfield, Massachusetts, not the uh, Springfield from The Simpsons. I think there's like 12 different <laughs> Springfields, which they could use in The Simpsons. I think Springfield, Illinois is the true Simpsons. Though. But anyways, Springfield, Mass, as it's called. I mean, I- I'm not even kidding. Maybe 30 minutes from my house, and I had people visit, like, I want to go see the Basketball Hall of Fame? And most people would just say no. Like, nobody had any interest in it. Mm-hmm. And then one time, I think I got my buddy John Chick to go with me. And we made it through, like, in an hour and a half. Like, it was, it was <laughs> really nothing special. And every year when I see the draft class, it's always enormous. Like, it's way too many people getting in the Hall of Fame. And that's why I go back to your guys' point. Like, I, I like the small hall. Like, in baseball, it's a, it's a huge situation, right? It's a big debate who gets in, who doesn't. Uh, in hockey, I think there's always good conversation. Again, the more hockey guys get in than I would like. But again, you still discuss who gets in, who doesn't, how nice it is for the Sedins to go in together, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I'm with you, Mike. Basketball Hall of Fame, like it's, uh, 
It's definitely the weak link of the four. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that Ben isn't here, but I do know if he was, you and him would have got to the bottom of which Springfield is the Simpsons one because that's just catnip for him. I actually was scared he was about to kick me off the show because he just heard you mention it. I thought it would be enough to like summon him uh, to 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 the line there. You know, we were, we're we're talking about you know the Hall of Fames and we want to switch gears to you know the Jays here obviously a little bit and they've got this series going on with the O's right now and we're just kind of talking about how. The AL East, you really can never, it's kind of, it's a little bit like the Atlantic division in in the NHL there and that you've got all these teams at the top and normally it's been the Rays and one of the Yankees or Red Sox and kind of like with Boston and Tampa and the Atlantic there. And then every time you think, ah, great, one of those teams is going to take half a step back. There's one of these also Rams coming from out of nowhere like the O's or, you know, the Red Sox and Yankees always always going to, you know, push you there. It's just this murderer's row of a division that anytime you think you've got a down team like the O's, oh no, here they come with the best farm team in baseball. It's just, it, it really seems inescapable, the, the, uh, the death by a thousand cuts that is the AL East. Yeah, right. First off on the O's, the fact they got a five-game win streak, they're outscoring opponents 37 to 15 over that span. They have the second best record in baseball. Like, that's stunning. I mean, I mean, last year, it was a pleasant surprise. Hey, the Baltimore rebuild is ahead of schedule. They're in playoff conversation and still made the right decision to go, no, no, we're not in this thing. We're going to trade Trey Man City. We'll get some more assets and figure this thing out. But you thought, like most people, all right, in contention for a wild card, but it's going to be tough. They have the second best record in baseball. They're on pace to win 101 games. They haven't won that many since 1979 when they won 102. Now, the good news for the Jays, Barrios never lost the Orioles. 9-0, 2.92 ERA in 12 career starts. But to your point, you know, for the Blue Jays, they've, they've got to figure out a way to, to beat some teams in their division. That's their problem. Only the A's and the Rockies have worse records against their own division than the Blue Jays. Think about that. Oakland, worst team in baseball, although I know they've been hot. They won seven straight. And the Rockies aren't going anywhere. They're the only two better than Toronto against their own division. They're 31-15 against non-ALEs teams. So if you're a Blue Jays fan, you have to say to yourself, all right, against the, against the big boys, we come up short. But we have to take advantage of the fact we will face other teams and just accept the fact that we'll have to take our lumps. Like if they could just go 500 against their own division the rest of the way, that would be a massive accomplishment rather than losing 60 and 22 games so far. Um, but Baltimore specifically, I, I think they're legit, fellas. And I, I do think, like already, I know there's 100 games left, but I already I can tell you the Rays are making the playoffs. One of the teams in the Central, let's say the Twins, doesn't matter who, they're not very good. And then Texas and Houston, I think they both make it. That's four teams right there. I am very confident those four teams will make the playoffs. So all of a sudden, you're looking at four teams for two spots. It becomes Orioles, Yankees, Jays, and Astros. Like, you know, one of the two, right? Let's suppose Astros win the division, Texas Walker, et cetera. So then it becomes a real challenge for Toronto. You start doing the math, and you go, okay, are you better than the Yankees or the Orioles? That really is, I think, what it's going to come down to. There's no other team, I think, in the Central, as I mentioned, the West, maybe the Angels. Like, you know, they've been better. Eight and two of their last ten, like game and a half in a walk card. Like, maybe the Angels. Mariners seem like this is just a, a really frustratingly lost season for them. They're 500. But the Jays are going to have to be better. They're going to be probably third in their division to make the playoffs. I'm pretty confident saying that. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's going to be three teams from the AL East that all get the walk card. I can't see that happening. Yeah, so for funny. Toronto, it's like, you, you know, you're fourth in the East right now. You've got to catch the Yankees and the O's. That's what the season will come down to. And to your overarching point, Brent, like every single team above 500, with the exception of the Red Sox, and they're still 33 and 35. It's just always going to be a gauntlet playing in that division. You know, years ago it was, well, how could the Jays compete with the Yankees and Red Sox in that division? And now we've come to, how could the Jays compete with the Orioles and Rays in their division? <laughs> like it's just changed so much. And like, 
I turned that game on yesterday, and I'm telling you, it was like going into Costco. When I go into Costco, I say, today's going to be different. They're not going to get me. I'm going to get my two items and leave. Mm, never happens. And then I get to the cash. I'm like, ah, oh, they beat me again. <laughs> and that was it last night. The Orioles are my Costco. I keep thinking it's going to be different. And it was just, it was so punishing to see it happen and to happen so early. And I guess, like, the other concern with this team, and I want to get your take, the starting pitching is what really carried the Jays so far this year. So you can't afford to have someone have a bad game. And then watching yesterday, and most teams, if you're down 8-1, you're not coming back. But it just feels like the Jays, if they don't win a 3-2 game, they're not going to win. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the concerns right now. I heard you guys talk about Manoa, and I agree. Right now, you can still feel bad for him because he's yet to get the big money so far. And it has to be, be more than something mental, right? This is not just a lack of confidence crisis of his mental health. It's got to be something physical. So they got to fix some of the They're going all the way down to Class A. And I don't think if Manoa get back to be one of the top starters in the game. But to your point, Mike, in the past, I would have said if Manoa's not right, they can't make the playoffs. But now I don't think that's true because Gosman really is an ace. Like, he's outstanding. Everyone knows that. He's going to go to the All-Star game. And Barrios is starting to look like the Barrios who they thought they got when they signed the seven-year $131 million extension. 4-1, 2-2-8 ERA across his last seven starts. Bassett, aside from last night, has been very good. So you start to talk, and even Kikuchi, let's say he's a number four, number five, he's in a 4-3-4 ERA. Like, it's not horrible. So you're right in that the Jays' depth has been tested and that Manoa's been sent down, but it, it's actually pretty good. Like, I always feel like you need at least three good starters, three and a half, four, and, and the Jays do have that right now. They've got to hope that their offense can, can pick things up a little bit, and that's why I think it was surprising. The other day I was with Cliff Floyd, of course, you know, 18 years in the major, two-time World Series. Cliff, he loves Toronto. He was telling me he was actually in Toronto earlier this week, and he's, you know, well, the craziest thing is Vlad is yet to get a home run at Rogerson. It's insane. And he goes, is that still going on? I said, I think so. I it is. He goes, how does that happen? He goes, how is that going to end up a home run at Rogerson? That is supposed to be a place where you're going to hit a ton of home runs. He goes, for a team that's supposed to be in contention, and you would have thought in that park they can hit new dimensions, whatever it is, he goes, they don't hit as many home runs as you think. And they, that has to change. And the Jays have some success this year. Well, it's it's so funny because, and obviously the Blue Jays have been thinking about the refit and the retool of the outfield dimensions for, for a long time. And you don't do this for one player, but I mean, you would think you'd design it a little to help the generational slugger that you think you have at the heart of your order for hopefully a decade plus. And it's just, it is dumbfounding the way that it's worked out, but it's also led to some questions. You know, you go look at Vladdy's monster seasons and I think some of this is a little overplayed, but... A lot of it happened in Dunedin, a minor league ballpark. A lot of it happened in Buffalo, a minor league ballpark. And do you have any concern? And, I, you know, I, I won't even phrase it that way of any concern, but it's just a question we've continued to ask ourselves about Vladdy this year of, is he a one-of-one one generational guy or is he merely very good? And if he's merely very good all-star level player as opposed to every year MVP front runner, and Alec Manoa is merely a starter as opposed to an ace front of the rotation starter, what does it do to the kind of long-term expectations for this team? Well, it's based on crazy, but it's not the worst thing in the world. Because if you know kind of what they are, and by the way, I do think Vlad is a very good player, potential all-star, but I don't think he's transcendent. And I think that logic is fair. The one year he went bananas, you know, the home runs in Dunedin and Buffalo. Although Matt, he's like, you know, 820 OPS kind of guy, very good hitter, but I don't think he's transcendent. I don't think he's... $300 million. So what that means if you're the Jays, you know, you avoid a potentially calamitous contract that can really hamstrung your team. Now you're going to have to pay them obviously the next few years, arbitration, et cetera. But if you choose to let them walk or you flip them before then, you can get some assets. 
And the case of Manoa, similarly, you know, you're already giving Gosman over $100 million. Same thing with Barrios. You know, Bassett's get $31 million a year. So if you say, well, you know what? Manoa's not going to get $110 million. That does allow you to spend that money elsewhere. Again, I think the Jays would prefer Vlad be the best player in baseball. And fine, we'll give you $300 million. They'd prefer Manoa be top three signed. Great. We'll give you $150 million. But if not, you do get a little bit more creative and try to figure out the numbers. And I think it's smart what they did with Bo Bichette, right? You kind of yeah. take care of his arbitration numbers. Let's just, just, just pay you out for the next few years. That doesn't mean that you're going to be here locked up long term, but at least you're getting paid the next few years where you feel is more reasonable and you'll be a healthy and happy and motivated player. Like Bo's leading the American League, 92 hits, 316 average, looking to lead the A on hits, third straight season. George Springer, last four games, he's been better. He's at 500. Varsho's the real guy to me that I'm like, offensively a disaster. Like 209, he hit the first 51 games of the year. Now he's hitting 304, last 16 games. And the good news is the Jays, you mentioned the dimensions, Brent. The outfield defense has been terrific. You go by defensive runs saved, they've got the best defense in baseball, which is ironic because our buddy Scott Crawford, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, reached out to me and said, hey, we're having our induction in St. Mary's this weekend. Any of these guys you'd like to have off? Rich Harden, Denis Boucher, John Older, Jesse Barfield. I said, oh, my God, I'll lose my mind if we get Jesse Barfield. <laughs> so I now, now not only get to interview Jesse Barfield, but I have Jesse Barfield's cell number in case I feel like prank calling him sometime. <laughs> but it was a great call because we get to remember, as three of us remember, Bell, Mosby, yep. Barfield, when the Jays have the best outfield in baseball. Now, they don't have the same oomph with Kiermaier, Springer, Varsha, but defensively, these guys make plays. And, and Jesse, you remember, what a cannon he had. I had to look it up. He led the American League in assists. Five different seasons, two-time Gold Glover, just throwing everybody out. And he said part of the greatness of the defense was all those guys could play center field. He goes, like, Lloyd Mosey was the guy. Shaker was the guy because mm-hmm. George Bell could play center field. I could play center field. So we had a lot of strength in numbers there. So yeah. ultimately for the Jays, you have to hope that those strengths, outfield defense, you know, that that will somehow play a part in success. Because if you're hoping those big boys will carry you, Vlad Jr. Manoa specifically, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, you, I'm I'm right there with you. And just quickly, you mentioning uh, the idea of guys having outfield cannons. There's so many sexy things in baseball, but maybe it's just because it's so rare. But just somebody getting gunned down with an outfield assist, it's just never going to not blow my mind. Like Mookie Betts is the first guy of this kind of era that, that comes to mind when I think of it. But yeah, when you mentioned that, it's just uh, honestly, it makes me smile. It's just one of the, the great moments in the game that's kind of uh, a little few and a little far far between. You know, the, the other thing you mentioned there about Bichette that I think is a really important factor is that them locking him up through ARB. It's not necessarily just the contract of it, but, and this has been something that's, you know, it gets played up a little and then poo-pooed every year, but every single year it goes to the absolute end with arbitration and this team and Bichette. They go right to the wire. And I just think that if this is a guy who you want to have in the fold long-term, and of course they did, or they wouldn't have locked him up for all those ARB years, just avoiding a fight every year to start the season is probably a good way to build kind of a foundational uh, a foundational relationship with a guy who, as you see the way he's carrying you, is definitely going to be a piece for the team, you know, should he choose to choose to stick around. And that's just something that jumped out to me when you mentioned the idea of him being locked up, is I think kind of avoiding the fight every year should help this team and the player a lot, I, I would assume. Yeah, some of the guys have talked about arbitration before. You know, I was talking to Harold Reynolds or Carlos Pena, Jake Peavy. They go, you don't understand. Like, you go, imagine you got to go in a room with your bosses at MLB Network, and they're like, listen, you're too short, too ugly, your nose is too big, you're losing your hair. Like, oh, does that, like, at, just, hold on, hold on. That doesn't happen you. to you guys? That happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, different for you guys. I know, Sansoni's giving you the ride act every year. But thank you for us. It doesn't happen. He goes, they, they literally destroy you. And then at the end, shake your hand. Go, hey, great job. Like, What? Like, arbitration <laughs> is not for, for the meek, and it's not for the faint of heart. And there's been players who have said, hey, I had a bad arbitration here. I'm not coming back here. Like, they hurt my feelings so much. I'm so mad at what they said. 
I'm gone when I get that chance. So it's uh, it's no joke, man. Those arbitration meetings and those hearings can be pretty feisty. We're in conversation with Adnan Verk. We'll be followed by Blair and Barker featuring Ben Ennis tonight, followed by Jays and Orioles on the radio and on TV on Sportsnet. Over at Sportsnet 1 at 7 p.m., it's Yankees-Mets. We thought it was going to be 1v1. Instead, it's third place versus fourth place. And then the series tonight, does it prove that money may buy happiness, but it cannot buy you a division title? <laughs> well said, Mike. Very poetic. They got to put that on T-shirts. Um, <laughs> it, it's pretty frustrating, man. Like I, I'm actually going to the city tonight to visit a buddy of mine. I, I have not been to see live comedy. I feel like since COVID. I mean, maybe maybe once since then. So I, I texted a buddy and I said, "Normally I'm working during the week, but I said, well, where are we off? I'd love to go see some live New York City comedy. So we're going to go see the equivalent of Yuck Yucks in New York today. And then, by the way, earlier in the week, I looked and go, oh my God, it's a Subway series. I've actually rather watched the baseball. And then I go, oh my God, it's Garrett Cole versus Justin Berlin. So I'm, <laughs> now I'm mad. I, I hope the comedy is terrible. I can just go leave and go to a sports bar and watch the game because I'm actually really excited. I mean, Yankees, Mets, even as you mentioned, the records are nothing to phone home about. I love a great pitching matchup. And you can't get much better than Garrett Cole, Berlander, even if Cole's numbers are excellent, 7-1, 2.84, and Berlander is not, 2-3, and 4.85. But there's been a lot of talk in this area. Mike, they were benefited by the fact that the Rangers, Islanders, Devils, all in the playoffs, Knicks and Nets, both in the playoffs. So a lot of focus went there. But this is a huge baseball area. And those two teams are as big a get as it gets in terms of fan passion and excitement. And particularly the Mets are a real disappointment. Like at least the Yankees, you could say they're 10 games above 500. They're missing Judge right now, who is so critical at offense. I mean, he's such a catalyst for their offense. Without him, it's, it's really nothing. It's not the same. Um, but for the Mets, it's a disaster, man. $351 million and you're five games under 500. Like, there's there's a lot of lessons to this. One of them is, why don't you just take care of the guys you had? Like, they could have re-signed Stroman a couple years ago and said he went to the Cubs. Mm -hmm. They could have re-signed Bassett. No, let's get Verlander and Scherzer. Hall of Fame pitchers were in their 40s. Like, dude, they're, they're old. Like, I was watching Scherzer yesterday and he, he gave up six runs against the Yankees. and He's not hurt. He departed in the fourth inning. Like, these are not the same guys they once were. And Verlander's look roughed up this season. So it's – and that, by the way, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Lindor is hit like 210. Mm -hmm. There's another guy. He gave him $300 million. He's hitting 210. Like he, he drives an RBS. Great. Alonzo's their one big power hitter. He's awesome. He's hurt right now for a month. Um, and they're the young guys that they've called up. Haven't done a ton. Like Beatty's hitting 230. Francisco Alvarez, some home runs behind the plate. But, again, he's yet to really get going. Um, Mark Hanna, Mark Taylor, veterans have slumped. Like it's, it's a mess right now, man. Like – you should hear it around the air. They're like, well, you know, Mets nine games out. I'm like, nine? It might as well be 90. Like, they're not going to catch the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are way too good to relinquish the division. The Mets already are relegated to a wild card spot. That's 65 games in the season. And Steve Cohen, I don't know a lot of things, but this guy made a lot of money, I think, by being ruthless and shrewd and intense. And, again, I'm not, I'm not asking everybody's job, but if I was Billy Eppler, I don't know how well I'd be sleeping right now because this team, they paid a lot of money for it. And they've been a real disappointment so far. Yeah, I can only imagine how many people are shocked at the Mets record because I just know me personally. When I'm watching highlights every morning, I'm like, oh, there you go. There are two bombs from Pete Alonso. Surely it must be going fine, but he's the only guy who, who's doing it. And, you know, I'm going to steal a question from from Mike here, but you kind of you mentioned it there, the idea of 
a the idea of a team trying to buy their way to wins. And look, it's not that teams haven't done that before. Hello, Yankees. Hello, Red Sox. Like, teams have done this, but it's far from a guarantee. I mean, the Angels, it, there was a run where every single offseason, they got the best free agent. And then every single year, the playoffs started, and we were wondering where Mike Trout and Shohei Otani were. And guess what? That run's still continuing. You see what's happened with the Mets here. They tried to buy their way to it, and it's just, it is funny that in a sport where, and again, you know, you, you know the NHL well, where the salary cap is king and it's everything and you're so drilled down by it where there's no cap yeah there's a tax and you might have to spend more money if you want to spend it but it's just so funny how you know splashing cash is far far from a guarantee not to say teams shouldn't do it we all love it when they do uh but it's just far from if it doesn't guarantee you anything yeah i feel much better if i have a strong core and then i supplement with a couple of big signings totally. right? then i feel better but i don't like them i make like seven signings and i'm like all right listen a few of these are going to go awry we're overpaying here left and right and i guess for steve cohen he doesn't mind the overpay he'll pay the luxury tax but i know one thing about rich people they want to get what they want like yeah. i'll pay a billion dollars <laughs> but i better get the best yacht if i don't get the best yacht i'm going to be mad okay <laughs> if the captain's drunk on the job and we get stormy seas out here we're going to have an issue someone's getting fired so it's, it's concerning <laughs> And particularly, again, they're starting pitching. They've lost nine of ten games. The starters have a 6-4-1 ERA in that span. And you paid all that money for Verlander, Scherzer, Kodai Senga, and his ghost for it. Lindor's in 143 his last 12 games. Like it, it is, It's putrid right now, man. You know, it's funny. A little while back, I was watching an Angels game. I'm just blown away looking at Otani, Trout, Rendon. And I just thought to myself, man, it would be tough for any team to get three big boppers like that. Three great players. And they make... Combined about 105 million, which is more than I think nine teams in baseball. And then the next thing I thought of, and even though they're doing a lot better this year, was wow, that's still not enough. Like you can have those three guys, and what's your pitching like? What's your bullpen? What's your farm system look like? Who do you call up when someone gets hurt? It really just struck me just how difficult it is to build a baseball team. I'd argue it's even the toughest in all the sports. I know Brent thinks it's football. We could have that argument, but. Where do you land on that? That, you know, in terms of baseball, it's just like the bleeding never stops. There's so many different areas and departments to manage that even if you spend your money in that one area, it it it, it just does not guarantee you any kind of success. Yeah, I think it's baseball too, Mike. I mean, football, I always feel like if you can get the quarterback and the coach, you're 50% of the way there. Like if you have a legitimately good coach, if you're the Steelers, you go, we got Mike Tomlin, that's 30% of the job. Like Mike Tomlin <laughs> immediately make me two wins better than he should. And if we can get a quarterback, and what's the Eagles? Once we got Jalen Hurts, we're, yeah. not, we're good now. Like we have a quarterback. The conference isn't very good. He's the best quarterback in, in the conference. We're going to go after that. Let's supplement, pick and pop, etc. You know, build the lines, whatever. But in baseball, to your point, you can look at your team and go, "All right, our problem is the bullpen. Let's fix up the bullpen." But bullpens are the most notoriously volatile thing in sports. You can get guys who are great relievers the next year; they're a disaster. Like the Braves, again, they're a first place team. Well, my buddy Jake Peavy lives in Alabama. A ton of Braves fans there. I said, how do they feel? Their offense is ridiculous. Like, they are so good. Acuna's the MVP right now. They got Riley and Olsen and Albies and Sean Murphy's an all-star catcher. He's yeah, the bullpen. I go, what are you, Ivory Braves fans? I go, here's a second. The last time I checked, their bullpen, like, they're, they're really good. They're Rysel Iglesias, you know, Matic Mitchell. No, no, they, they think the bullpen stinks. And that's what happens. Two years ago, you could win a World Series when the Braves bullpen was so good. And then two years later, you go, I, this bullpen's awful. Like, it is, it is so Difficult to predict. Same thing with baseball as far as the hitters are concerned. You can sign a guy like Lindor. You're like, he is worth $300 million. He is 26 years old. He plays terrific defense. Mr. Smile, so charismatic. He'll sell tickets. He can hit, hit for power. And guess what? So for three years in the Mexico, I cannot believe they gave that guy $300 million. I, I think it's so hard to predict which guys will be legit. And just wait till Otani gets 
$600 million this offseason. I mean, maybe he's the one guy that's worth it, no matter what happens. Yeah, I uh, I certainly can't wait for that. Uh, I do love a big, sexy offseason story, and we're going to get one uh, w- with him there. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the, the goings-on in, in Oakland, Adnan. I mean, that is as unique a scene as I've seen. We've seen teams protest, and we've seen fans get mad before. We've seen it go both ways. Uh, what did you make of everything that, that went down in Oakland last night with the with the fans chanting what they were chanting and it, it them going from silence to raucous and the whoever was on the mound not thinking his headset was working? What did you make of everything in Oakland last <laughs> night? Well, it was definitely surreal, Brent. And you know, more than anything, it just makes me sad. Just like, I grew up, like, I love those late 80s A's teams. I was born in 78, so, you know, 10, 11, 12, I'm watching the Bash Brothers. Who did mm-hmm. Luck and Seiko McGuire and... Carney Lansford, Walt Weiss, Mike Gallego, uh, Storm Davis, Bob Welsh. Like, to me, Oakland was the spot to be. I had no idea until I married a gal from uh, San Jose who told me, no, no, Oakland's terrible. Like, what? She's like, like, San Francisco's the spot to be. Oakland's a dump. And then I went to the O.Co. 15 years ago after I got married. I'm like, oh, it's a horrible part. Who the hell could you the Oakland days? But, um, you know, my buddy Matt Bassversion loved the A's teams in the 70s. Vida Blue recently passed away. That makes you think of those great teams. So, to me, I would always think baseball has had a rich, profound, passionate history in Oakland. And all of a sudden, they're getting 9,000 fans a game. Like, it's really depressing more than anything because I think they can be successful. And there's lots of blame to go around. You know, I wish they just could have got the park settled. I really feel like if they had a park in San Jose, making the San Jose A's would have been fine. And I get it. The Giants push back territorial rights. That's why we'll never see another hockey team in Hamilton, right? The Leafs will let it happen. Like, I get it. That's how it goes. But I'm like, that area could totally support two baseball teams. They have in the past. They just needed a new stadium. And they couldn't get the deal done. And now it looks like it's inevitable they go to Vegas. Although it's not a fait accompli yet. And you could have three years of being a lame duck. We know what that was like in Montreal. Like, why the heck did you go to games when you know your team is leaving in three years? It's just sad and depressing. And uh, I guess good for the fans for making their voice heard. You know, I wish they could always get 25,000 fans. I wish they're always that wild up. But at least they're not going down without a fight. And then we always end the segment with a little bit of pulp culture. And I got to be honest... Since the Gojo merger, the ATN content has not been very good, so I'm, I'm not watching it anymore, to be honest. So what's your best advice for people post-succession? Because I find myself swimming, looking around for a show, and I have not been able to attach myself to something that I liked since. What are, what are, what are most people in your circles watching these days? Well, it's a great point, Mike. I, I feel that void now on Sunday nights. And it, that was one of the great things with succession is you, you had to watch that show at the time it was airing because somebody might text you and ruin it for you or you know you see something on social media so i love the fact it felt like a, a succession community that enjoyed seeing uh, rich white people behaving badly so unfortunately that has gone by the wayside but i myself am like you i'm looking for a show the only shows i watch are rami and winning time of course winning time the, the story with the lakers that's going back in early august we got about six weeks until then i myself will of course watch movies which is why we have cinephiles so I'm going to go see The Flash this weekend. The great Michael Keaton back as Batman, even though he's 70 years old. Yes. Uh, probably take the kids to see Elemental. Love it. But yeah, TV show-wise, we're, we're on a bit of a hiatus as far as TV is concerned. But movies, I, I'm looking forward to seeing The Flash this weekend. Just for my man, Michael Keaton. I cannot wait until he says, I'm Batman. I, I can't wait for it either. <laughs> Michael Keaton's just good in comic book movies. He was good in the Spider-Man movie he was in as well. Uh, and uh, I do love me, love me. So Michael Keaton, he was great. The founder, I could do this all day, Adnan. Uh, thanks so much for jumping on with us. Really, really appreciate the time. Brent, glad we finally got to chat. Mike, glad we're reunited. We'll talk soon, boys. Well, there again. He, there he goes, Adnan Burke, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast there. Uh, I would just like to, can I, can I yell at HBO for two seconds here? Sure. What are you doing giving me succession in the midst of the playoffs for the NHL and the NBA? I don't, again, I will take it at any time you got it. 
and I was so happy with it. I loved it. But it would be good, like, now. Oh, oh my God. When we have nothing. What are we do- Well, I know what I'm doing on Sunday, and it's watching primetime golf because the U.S. Opens in That's Cali right. this year. So maybe I don't want it to. I would have loved a next week. This Now, I would have been complaining the whole time. Where's my succession? I need it back. So there, this is the ultimate. There is no pleasing me. But this is always a gripe of mine. When HBO, because let's be honest, they, they got all the great Sunday dramas. But, you know, Showtime, any of those other networks, they give us too much good stuff. When there's all the sports going on, when it's just baseball is when we need these shows, not when we have everything else. So first shame on you, but winning time coming back. So I am excited uh, about that. We got a lot to get into that we haven't talked about. There was a report, uh, had to ask Adnan. It was like, which sad MLB story do I want to ask Adnan about? The A's or limiting front office spending? Uh, So we'll talk about that a little bit. F1 in Montreal this weekend. There's drama with the Bills and Digs. And as I mentioned, uh, U.S. Open gets started tomorrow at L.A. Country Clubs. We'll talk about all that and more. We continue one segment left here on Fan Drive Time with Gunning and Gentilly on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. drive time final segment here the the end of our journey thought we were gonna have a whole week together shuffling things around don't worry well again i always leave it up to the listener threat or promise you will be here you decide right. you will be hearing from me tomorrow uh and friday nine to ten well and we're JD. back on this show monday there I we believe. go there we so go. There go uh there will be more of us but we you know it's it's good like we can we can uh you know build a anticipation of uh, reuniting together on listen uh, we're together but we're also seeing other co-hosts on the side you know it's uh open open (laughs) co-hosts here uh you're you're with jesse i think tomorrow so yeah it'll be uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see there uh we wanted to talk a little bit about the raps everything going on with the coaching hire and you know the the news had been out there for a few days of course they had the unveiling yesterday i was this is just optics and i don't know why it matters i was a little surprised they did it outside it definitely bled into the vibes they were trying to cultivate there of like this is a a rebirth a new start a fresh era whatever you want to call it but i feel like all of the press conferences that i remember have been inside scotiabank arena i cannot remember the last time somebody did one outside of it they were in jurassic park just a it just looked like again it looked fine visually but it's just when you think of people remember Kawhi and his awkward laugh at doug smith's question it's all inside we remember mike babcock it's standing inside at scotiabank arena it was just a weird way to do it and i do think part of it is that yeah it was a nice day okay so let's get outside but also they wanted to have this kind of bright new feel to it all as well well cool idea i think it you know like the weather well it held up and it was fine but a few things yeah you're right did stick out to me the absolute elation from masai ujiri at the end where it was just like guys like let's just we're gonna celebrate this is a, a <laughs> new era and a new attitude and it was like wow man like you you got the same roster man like like we haven't seen any <laughs> any build yet and i thought that even coach darko was you know this is the best GM and the best president and the best ownership. And I was like, yeah, they they went with someone that's not Nick Nurse. No, no, no. 
And I found that interesting in terms of power struggles and what we've been seeing in Leafline. We've seen it with Pittsburgh now, yep. with Dubis creating his own Shanna plan there by hiring Jason Spezza, by the way, as his assistant GM. And, you know, money can multiply, yep. but power is different. Power, you can only get more if someone gets less. So it was, you, you might even say one head, one crown, you might even say. Right, so it was very interesting in these. So I like, I like the hire. I don't, I don't have yep. an issue with the hire. But it was very clear that this wasn't going to be a Nick Nurse type. It wasn't going to be like a Budenholzer type, someone that was going to be a massive personality. I also think it, it speaks to the fact that they're way more in a build than a, in a win-now scenario, which is good. I mean, that all makes sense. But, you know, the the animosity, I guess we, we know about it. Maybe we don't have as much of the dirt as mm -hmm. we'd like. But, wow, the the animosity between the management and Nurse could not be more apparent yesterday when it was it, it was more celebrating who's not here than it was who's celebrating who's just hired. Yeah, I think the other thing with with Coach Darko as well, and you know, we'll see how he, you know, it's really it's really easy to be bright and sunny when it's bright and sunny out and you just got handed a contract and you have all the job security in the world and there's literally no pressure because you don't have anything to do other than answer these questions. It's really easy. Yeah. But I think the thing that graded on it graded across the league from this team, and it honestly started to grade on the fan base, was just the constant, and I'm the wrong guy to say this because I come on the radio every time I get the chance to and complain about the refs, but it was the constant complaining about the refs from Nick Nurse. And, you know, it goes to the idea of what is a leader, and not to say that Nick Nurse isn't one. The, the 76ers wouldn't have hired him if they didn't think he could lead that team. But what is the tenor that gets set from it? And if you were somebody who is constantly, and I, again, to do a kind of least parallel here, you almost never heard it from the Leafs. I would come out every day and say, oh, my God, Sheldon Keefe, just blast the refs. It'd be so fun. Take the fine. They never did it. Once, once they did it. Nick Nurse every game is pointing fingers, screaming, running up and down the court. And guess what? It bled into the team. They're all complaining about fouls all the time, too. It doesn't and, just taint the coach. It taints the players and, and, the, and the entire team. You're and right. when you do that, then you don't get calls. It ends up inversely affecting you. So I do think there is something to, and again, I don't think Nick Nurse is sitting there looking for excuses or anything like that, but that's what starts to tend to happen when you think, oh, everybody's against us. We can't get any calls. And whatever we know about Coach Darko after the first thing, one thing we can say is that he is a super bright, sunny, positive personality. Again, we'll see how he is after a couple of years on the job, if that light's been dimmed at all. But I think there was definitely something to that as well of, you know, it's it's always the pendulum in sports. Whether it's a GM, you seem to go old school, progressive, old school, progressive. With coaches, it's players, coach, dictator, players, coach, dictator. And not to say Nick Nurse was a dictator. I mean, I think players love how much he played them. Sometimes they didn't. But uh, and but I think with Coach Darko, you look at a guy who with Nurse, it was and part of it was he was trying to climb back to that mountain. He knew what it was to be a championship coach. But it was always so tense. It was always so tough. Even the post-game pressers got really tense and really tight. And with this coach, it just allows you to have a, a bit of a reset. To your point, who knows what that means for the roster if it's not a reset there. But I think that you just needed a different kind of personality from Nurse. And I heard Ben Ennis anchoring our uh, coverage yesterday. Did a good job during the press conference yesterday. He was talking about how Nick Nurse was among um, the coaches that had the fewest bench minutes in the league. Like mm. he, he really did not trust or like any of the bench uh, players enough. And it's funny because I keep hearing the name and even yesterday, Malachi Flynn yeah. all the time. I'm like, all people do is talk about this guy. And I'm like, I get it. I get it. That's, that's someone they drafted. They thought would be what they needed was, you know, which is a point guard that, you know, he wasn't mm -hmm. played enough, but 
My goodness, how low on the rankings of all the members of that roster is Malachi Flynn to be spending well, that think, much time talking about? I, think, I get it. No, no, but here's but my goodness. Here's what I think it is, is that Malachi Flynn and what has happened with him is a symptom of a larger problem. Yeah. The thing that made the Raptors great, and I'm not just talking about the championship year. That was the culmination of it, but I'm talking about the DeRozan-Lowry years where, yeah, it ended with LeBron punching him in the mouth every year pretty much, but those were great teams that had really nice runs and good success, and so much of the story of that was the internal player development that was happening, and quite frankly, that's just dried up so much, and I think it goes back to, you know, you mentioned how over-the-top Masai was with his enthusiasm I think it was him trying to resell. Hey, we are still the same team. This is still the front office that put it together because it does feel like that Raptors magic has kind of worn off basically since the title, since the bubble, really, it's kind of worn off. So I think that, I think that's why a guy like Malachi Flynn got talked about so much that way. It just because, represents the yeah, bigger issue. It's like, it's like people talk about Nick Robertson over and over and over again in Leafland. And guess what? Oh, Matthew Nyes is here and we stopped doing it because the issue is starting to solve itself. You have guys actually coming in and, and being valuable kind of members of the team. But yeah, I think that's why it's not about Flynn. It's about the, the larger problem. To another point you made, there was a sit-down with Arash Madani and Kyle Lowry mm -hmm. last week at the finals, and they were talking about 2019. And it's funny, Lowry made that point about they were a great team, they liked each other, but they didn't care who led the team in scoring. Like, they didn't care who had the highlights. Yep. They didn't care who did what, they just wanted to win. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they all had hunger, they all had different reasons for their hunger, yep. but they just didn't care who was the person in the spotlight at the time? And there's no way you could have said that about last exactly. year's Raptors team. Exactly. Pascal Siakam needed to make All-NBA to get the contract kicker incentive. Did not happen for him. Fred Van Vliet just opted out. You know how important individual numbers yeah. for a guy. Scotty Barnes still trying to assert himself and figure out what exactly he is in this league. And that's not to say they're going into the huddle and saying, oh, come on, draw one up for me. I need it. But they're thinking that way, and it just how can it not leak into your play? So yeah, I think that's uh, that's that's really well said. Uh, I don't know if you got any more on raps. You want to switch to uh, you, you want to switch to this drama with Bills and the or Digs and the Bills here? Uh, sure. So, you know, I guess the simplest way to state this story is: stop me if you've heard this before. Wide receiver would like the ball more. This is the most. It is a massive story because the Allen and Diggs connection has been at the heart of this resurgence in Buffalo. And of course, that's mostly Josh Allen, but he didn't turn into Josh Allen until he got that weapon. But it is amazing to me how much this is being talked about of a guy like Diggs wanting the ball. Of course, he's going to want the ball. He is the most skilled playmaker on that team by a thousand miles. And this is just part of what it looks like in the NFL when you don't win. If they would have got past the Chiefs, if they would have got past the Bengals, you're not having these conversations, even if Stefan Diggs catches the exact same number of passes. This is why he left Minnesota. He had an incredible moment. He whipped off the helmet and they, they had the walk-off win there, the miracle. But it didn't matter because they lost the next game. Winning will fix all of this. And that's why this drama to me is just so, so funny. Well, you can have this conversation at any time. Anytime. You could do it in the offseason. You could do it during camp. To go and not be out of voluntary camp on purpose and make people have to explain it. I well, mean, did you see what happened today? McDermott basically walked that back of, well, he was here and we just said he could leave. Yeah. Did he zoom in? What happened? The, the, the shenanigans going on. It's awkward. Now, I do believe out of everything terrible, sometimes good can come out of it. Mm -hmm. What we've really seen and learned is the incredible leadership of a Josh Allen.
Because rather than not want to take this on, he basically yeah. took it on, almost took responsibility for it, uh, had some sympathy for him, but also sympathy for the team. He didn't have to do any of that. So, so I thought his quotes were very interesting. You know, he, you know, he's like us as an organization. Maybe we're not communicating the right way with everything. So he's, you know, you know, he said it wasn't just teamwork. It was you know, like a few other things related to it. So I thought he tried to take the high road and tried to be a real leader. So that looked really good. But you're right. Our, our whole show started about being, you know, in a team environment yep. and not being an individual. And at the end of the day, it's just really... It's a wide receiver crying about getting more more catches. Well, That's it's, what it is. It's so funny because there is no sport that is more team than football. But that's also the sport where the most individual guy. And it's yeah. just look, we've I've talked about this with you know receivers who played in the CFL, played in the NFL. It's just the way they're wired, man. It is par for the course. Okay, you want them wired that way, the same way you want your closer or your goalie to be a little bit off. It's, they're a little awkward. It's probably good. You kind of like that. And with wide receivers, the better they are, the more they demand the ball. Go through history. Think of them all. There's a reason why we talk about Larry Fitzgerald like he's Mother Teresa. Because he's a true one-on-one of one of that position. And guess what? If he wasn't getting the ball, he'd walk over to Carson Wentz or Kurt Warner or whoever was the quarterback for him on some of those awful Arizona teams that he played on before they got good. He would very nicely but very sternly say, Pass me the damn ball because I'm the best player on this team. So it is just, it's the way the sport works. And Josh Allen doing exactly what he should do. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was, uh, it's going to be an evolving story. It, we're going to have this flare up, be like a hot spot with these wildfires we got going on. It's like, oh, no, there's a problem spot with Buffalo and Diggs. It's all going to work out. It's going to be back on the team. It's going to be just fine. Now, I have questions about what the Bills are and if they've kind of missed their win now window now that Josh Allen's on his big contract. They're going to be a good team. Are they going to get past the Bengals? Are they going to get past the Chiefs? I'm not so sure about that, but it's not going to be because Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs don't well, get along. And the problem with the Bills is in this window we're talking about, uh, the Chiefs haven't gotten worse. Nope. And all the other teams are getting better. Now you got Aaron Rodgers coming into the mix. Um, you know, uh, the Broncos should be better. So now you have just more mm -hmm. teams that were out of it last year are in it this year. And I think that uh, the window's closing quickly, and uh, there's way too many great quarterbacks in that conference couple other quick hitters here. Uh, Kyle Dubas making a big splash, sexy hire. Didn't see it coming. I, we're all shocked by this. Jason Spezza, assistant GM with yeah. the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. Not, not remotely surprised. The timing doesn't surprise me either. I think you want to get this out there before it lingers for too long and it becomes a bit of an issue or however you want to word it. I, I think that this makes all the sense in the world, that he is effectively setting... And it's weird to say about a guy like Jason Spezza, who is, you know, borderline. And as we said, if you're borderline, you're not in borderline yep. Hall, of, Hall Famer, of Famer. That he is basically setting himself up or setting Jason Spezza up to be Kyle Dubas of 10 years ago or nine years ago or whenever he started in Toronto. I would think that you get a much more established front office person as opposed to former player as the GM. And I don't know if that hire is made at all in the next year. Maybe they take some time to do that. But then I think you kind of, do exactly what Kyle Dubas did with Lou Lamorello here, where I don't know if he's going to be the GM in Wilkes-Barre like Kyle Dubas was with the Marlies, but it just, it's setting up O2 perfectly for Dubas to basically be turning Spezza into the new him. Well, he's a president. He's got the GM in waiting. So you need a guy that's going to basically fill the gap in between. Yeah. Because Spezza's not going to be the GM tomorrow, but you think he's going to be it at some point. So yeah, uh, who do they use in that realm? I'm not sure. Does that hurt that's going to be, but he's recreated... 
the same scenario that he got out of Toronto, yep. he created in Pittsburgh. He really did. And he, he's, he's just become the sh- he he wanted this in Toronto, couldn't get it. Yep. And it's sort of ironic that he's created the exact same structure uh, at a different team. Yeah, and it's very interesting that. And again, there's a lot of offseason. There's a lot of free agent decisions to be made with this team. but And there will be some changes to the roster. But it's entirely possible that the biggest change that's made this year is just Cal Dubas no longer here and Brad Living being here. Uh, and I'm going to be very curious to the reaction of that. If that's uh, what it ends up being. A And longer this goes on, I think it's going to be all four core guys are back. Hashtag and, run it back. And Keith is back. You're into that? I, well, I don't know how into it I am. I just think it's <laughs> going to happen. I mean, we are two weeks away from all the no moves kicking in. There have been no reports about Austin Matthews, and that doesn't surprise me. I don't think this is a guy who is going to be running to make it known that he has a deal ready to be signed. But and quiet is usually good because you may have heard something like hey, uh, talks haven't gone yeah, well yeah. or he's decided not to talk about it until the end of the season. Like, if you get to that point, yeah. it's going to get scary. And the other good thing about it with with – uh, and it's it's funny. It's actually the counterpoint we're talking about with Adnan and Manoa, the idea that, oh, well, you know, if he's a number three starter and you just don't have to pay him, it's actually not the absolute end of the world. You're going to have to pay Austin Matthews. So the good thing about Living is that, you know, if this were a, let's just say it's William Nylander, the conversations that Kyle Dubas was having all year about a tentative extension for William Nylander, they could be very different from the ones Brad Treliving has had. There is a world where the two player or the two GMs view that player differently. With Austin Matthews, maybe there's a schism of Treliving is a little, quote-unquote, tougher a negotiator, but the parameters of the contract are already known. It's just a matter of how many years it's going to be, and then obviously that impacts the AAV a little bit one way or another. But I think that's the thing Treliving has going for him is that it's not, well, I've been talking about X and Y all year long, and you're coming here telling me A and B. It's going to be very similar to whatever Dubas and the agent had been discussing. Well, and it always was and will be what Shanahan decides. Because, you know, a signing like that, I think it was Kipper brought this up, too it's not just a gm it's not just a president the board is involved ownership's yep. involved it goes way higher than even broad true living so i think that was gonna end no matter who was gonna be the gm yeah it was it was uh man it's been a fun show today we got a uh, by here got Jeez. a couple of a couple of minutes left uh the the idea of the of the Spezza hire, what do you think the reaction is going to be to that? Because I saw a lot of people rolling their eyes a little when he resigned after Dubis was fired or his contract was allowed to expire, however the, yep. the team turns to use it. What do you make of it? To me, it was it was a clear as day, a guy he has a great relationship with and the new guy who came in here with, I'm not going to say, you know, true living thinks poorly of Spezza. I'm sure he thinks finely of him, but they don't have the relationship. It's very, makes all the sense in the world to me. And I, I can't kill Jason Spezza for it, even though I would have loved a world where Duba stayed and he was still here. And it, we stole the Ottawa legend. I would have loved it, but I can't begrudge him one for handing in his resignation when his job title was personal assistant to Kyle Dubas. Like this is the Dwight Schrute uh, scenario here. Yeah. So do you begrudge him at all? Do you think people will? No, I don't think they should. I mean, obviously, you could, ask, you know, you could ask the question, should he have more loyalty to the team or to his friend? Well, who knows if that job at the team was going to be even available had, with Dubas out the pitcher exactly. anyway. So when he quit that quickly, it told me he was a, a ride or die with Dubas, whether it was going to be in Toronto or somewhere else. U.S. Open starts up tomorrow. F1 in Montreal this weekend. You, Mike Gentile, personally, what are you more excited for? Oh, always love F1 Montreal. I mm-hmm. really do. I mean, I have a little extra juice in the golf after last weekend. Yeah. It was it was hard not to get excited for, sure. for that. And I'm curious because, you know, like, does Brooks win a second one in a row? I mm-hmm. think, you know, there's a lot of interest around that. 
John Rahm is playing really well. So, yeah, U.S. Open's always great. But for me, F1 is obviously a huge... And I'm Have you been? Looking Have for you ever it. been? No. I, I would, that is very much a it's, trip I would like to do. It's a, it's a very tough one. Yes. Very tough on the wallet. Oh, yeah, I know. But but it would be just a great party, and you got you have to be there the whole week to really yep. enjoy it. And and it's tricky because, um, you know, sometimes we could argue if it's too predictable. Yep. Because the same guy wins every race all the time. But what works in F one dominance. Yes. So it was you know if it was from Schumacher yep. to Hamilton, now it's Max's turn. Mm-hmm. You know the fact that he wins every week pretty much is actually not a bad thing in the long run. Yeah. Uh, so for racing, I would actually prefer dominance than having. Anyone win every week. Well, and I think the good thing about the way F1 is covered is that they do a good job within the race of not just making it about who's going to win the race. Like, this is sometimes my beef with golf coverage is yeah. if a guy's up by five strokes, you, you could still talk about the battle for you second and third. You can have a battle for there's third lot, and fourth. Maybe more interesting there's than the race. There's a lot of points that, that yeah. are at, at play there, and F1 really, really leans into it, and I think that's what allows them to still be interesting. And the idea that it is not one car. It's been three different cars in that in that run of a Red Bull, a Mercedes, uh, and then, of course, uh, Ferrari back when Schumacher uh, was doing the thing. Man, uh, it's been a ton of fun. Jay's back at it tonight. Ryan Mountcastle not in the lineup, and they still gave up 11 runs uh, to right. the O's. Uh, the Jay's killer. Yes, that's right. And he's not there. You won't have to deal with him. You will have to deal with Cal Bradish. He gets the ball uh, tonight for the O's. Well, the Blue Jays will turn to Jose Barrios. It's Shulman and Shulman on the call tonight, one on TV, one on radio. Ben Ennis is coming up next with Blair and Barker to get you set for first pitch tonight. Thanks so much for listening. It's been Fan Drive Time with Gunning and Gentilly on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.